Hello and welcome to How We Got Here, a podcast between FKG Consulting and Nondoc Media. I'm Trace Savage, the editor-in-chief of Nondoc.com, and it is Thursday, June 28th as we record this. It'll be released in a couple days. Uh, a, we are just mere hours, dozens of hours after a record-breaking and wild uh, primary election night here in Oklahoma. Um, I'm sitting here with Ryan Kilpatrick of FKG Consulting. Hey, Trace, how are you today? I'm great. Good to see you. Good to have you back on the podcast. I think last time you were here, we were stuck in some weird courtroom of the Capitol, That's right? That's right. We were down hiding on the second floor trying to knock an episode out. I'm trying to remember what all was going on, but it was towards the end of, uh, a sh- I guess, a shortened regular session, a little bit towards the end of April or early May there. Yeah, yeah. and uh, we have brought in some... Um, uh, last minute, uh, folks, to jump into this podcast, uh, one of them knew he was going to do this. The other one wanted to observe, and we were like, well, throw that microphone in front of you. we got a can of salted nuts here. Anyway, uh, on my right, even though this is audio and no one knows what I'm talking about, is Ryan Tupps of Right Strategy Group. How are you? I'm good. Did I say that correctly? Okay, great. One of the few. Um, we got double Ryans, and, we, and since we figured we it would be a ridiculous podcast to have two Ryans and me, we decided to add Chris Meredith of uh, Farmers Insurance. Uh, Chris, uh, welcome. Good afternoon. Glad to be here. And, yeah. And real quick as well, I just want to, Chris, I mean, he, he was kind of thrown in last minute, but definitely uh, more than qualified to be here. He's uh, one of our clients at FKG, but also has been, you know, works very involved with the state chamber in their legislative affairs and political committee, um, and, and pretty wide political involvement as well. I think anyone in the public affairs community would speak to that so just wanted to throw the little uh, credentials in there for you i see i thought the goal of politics was to set your expectations low so that when they come in really high um everybody gets excited i'm just trying to you know i don't know i'm gonna say there's that's why he's not giving my credentials yeah right yeah so so yeah notice i was very quiet during that whole part we just we spoke a lot about chris and then kind of just Ryan, the two yeah. Ryans out there. Right. Uh, Mr. Tupps, why don't you uh, give us just a couple sentences about yourself and, and Right Strategy Group? Um, we're a uh, campaign consulting firm. We started in 2015. Um, we try to be, we are very data-based and digital heavy. That's kind of our, we do everything, but that's kind of what we've gotten to be uh, known for. So Awesome. And uh, Chris, tell us uh, your background and a little bit about uh, your day-to-day job. Yeah, thanks, Trace. Uh, I'll pay you later, Ryan, for that nice introduction. <laughs> uh, but I do uh, legislative affairs for farmers insurance. I specialize in leadership development and communities uh, affairs. I am in charge of five states, uh, Oklahoma, Arkansas, and then a jump up to Minnesota and the Dakotas to get some uh, different perspective. And I uh, work, like Ryan said, I, I am the legislative affairs chair uh, for the state chamber of Oklahoma and um, help work there in uh, do whatever I can to help move Oklahoma forward. Very good. Um, well, uh, let's get started talking about the June 26th primary. Um, this podcast, uh, how we got here, we kind of look back sometimes. And so I wanted to try to start us off by looking back and asking everybody where we thought the real key moments were that that got us to the results. Um, I guess maybe I should say what the results were in case you have, in case somehow you're really interested in politics but you haven't uh, looked for yourself yet and you decided to click on this podcast uh state question 7088 which was about medical marijuana passed with flying colors about 57 percent of the vote um kevin stitt and mick cornett uh, are in the gop runoff for governor um drew edmondson won the democratic nod for governor uh there are eight or i'm sorry there are six of the other seven statewide uh, elections that uh, Republicans will have a runoff in as well. A lot of uh, seemingly dissatisfaction, I guess, with with the the main candidates out there. Um, and there was a huge turnout in votes. And then there were six members of the Oklahoma legislature, six sitting members who were defeated uh, on primary night. And there's a slate of those runoffs as well. And then a lot coming up in November. So with that as the backdrop, what happened this year? that really paved the way for any of those results? I'll throw it open to the floor. Well, I mean, I just, just to start it off, I think it was it was really great and refreshing to see such a great turnout um, on Tuesday. I think it's, it's an important to note, and I think we would be not doing any of our listeners a favor just to note that uh, we have another two months from today on August 28th. Everyone who's a registered Republican or Democrat in the state has an, another opportunity to vote statewide. Well, there'll be at least something on the ballot in terms of statewide offices for those runoffs. So while I, I 
I think it's a fair fair to say we won't see anywhere near the kind of turnout we saw on June 26th uh, with state question 788. I think it'd be really great to see um, some good turnout. And we obviously have some very impactful runoffs on the ballot then. Um, you know, I think if you look back, it, you could really look back probably two years or more with the, the, the three sessions we've had to this point. We could have another one on the horizon, which I think we'll get to a little bit later. But um, it, we and just a number of budget-related events that all the events we've talked about in previous episodes that built up to the teacher walkout that we saw uh, this spring. I, I think you know those are there's there's a number of factors at play that led to uh, this this turnout. 788 surely being one of them. But I think we, we saw a bunch of things come to the, to a head on Tuesday. Yeah, I, I think that's probably right. If you probably went back on all of our podcast episodes uh, back to January, we talked about a lot of those. Um, gentlemen, what were what, what stood out over the last year or two to you that, that really shaped the results on Tuesday? I, I think when you have a record number of people file, you're probably going to have a record turnout. Mm. I mean, that that is quite literally saying more people are getting involved in politics. So the more people that get involved in t- politics, the more people are going to vote. Yeah, and that probably also uh, combined to, to cause the, I don't know if it's a record, but it sure seems like it, uh, a record number of at least Republican runoffs um, that that we're going to see, uh, not only on the statewides that we, we mentioned, but uh, legislative as well. Chris, uh, what same question to you. Yeah, uh, so the, I, I do think the teacher walkout was probably, to me, the biggest factor, along with, you know, years of, of budget issues. Uh, but having the teachers there on filing day, However, that occurred. I think that was a big deal because it did a lot, create a lot of extra filings, split up the districts, which lead to runoffs when you have that many people out there. And you know, the, the other piece to that is when I talk to people in my neighborhood, when I talk to people at Farmers, all of our agents, our employees, they just kind of throw their hands up and say, "Yeah, we just need something different. We need to fix this." Uh, you know, no real pinpoint, but they just the, the attention it brought to how government, state government, impacts you daily, uh, was brought to uh, a lot of people's attention. So, and a, sort of a somewhat of a throw the bums out uh, mantra. I mean, we get that on non-docs Facebook posts and our articles. I mean, there's there's a pretty fervent anti-incumbent. Um, uh, mantra you know one of the funniest things was we were doing we were doing this series of hot races our, our our intern Ben White give him a shout out he did a lot of great coverage and he he did this series on on open seats and there was this one guy who kept commenting over and over again vote out all the incumbents and and I and we it was just crack us up in the newsroom because it's like well click the thing because it's not there are no incumbents do we have a race for you yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so um, all new faces fresh blood um so do we think that um, wh- why do we think that so many of these races went to to runoffs? Let's just clarify uh, Lieutenant Governor has gone to a runoff, uh, Matt Pinnell versus uh, Dana Murphy, um, then Attorney General Mike Hunter versus uh, Gintner Drummond, then State Auditor uh, is going to be uh, Chris uh, 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 Oh my gosh, we had her for uh, Cindy Bird and Cindy Charlie Bird. I wanted to say Christine Bird, yeah. but that that was the state senate forty eight candidate. I'm sorry um, to Cindy Bird. Uh, she and and uh, Charlie Prater are going to be in a runoff. Then you've got Superintendent of Public Instruction, the sitting Superintendent Joy Hoffmeister will be in a runoff against Linda Murphy. You've got Corporation Commission on both the Republican and the Democratic side that went to. Uh, a runoff. I feel like I'm missing one. Yeah. Do we, did you say labor commissioner? I didn't say yeah. labor commissioner. So you have um, Leslie Osborne and Kathy Costello on the Republican side. So, so what do we think caused all of that? I mean, some of those candidates didn't spend a ton of TV time, uh, and then potentially if they did, uh, it got lost in the shuffle of all that. But what what caused it? I mean, I, I have a theory or two, but what do you guys think uh, that that split those votes with with the third? candidates um in those races because you because let's be clear the third candidate in most of those races um was was not a high profile person did not spend money did not did not do tv advertisements with the exception of i think eddie fields um you know is a senator and did some radio ads but i'm not sure the other third party candidates really did so so what what got them so much vote that they uh forced runoffs i think there's always going to be a none of the above wasn't that the, the uh, Richard Pryor running for mayor in New York? None, none of the above. Right. Um, I think there's a percentage of none of the above. 
Yeah, but I mean, his, but, period. But and, sometimes that percentage is eight percent. This time, in a couple of these races, it was twenty-two percent. I mean, I think that's kind of the political climate you're in. And two things I would, you know, and these are purely speculation on my part, but something that, that seems to add up to me is that, you know, first of all, Ryan mentioned the number of candidates, just the sheer number of candidates, like you said earlier, Trace, will probably tend to give you more of this, more of the possibility for these runoffs. I mean, we had a 12-way primary, House District 82. We're pretty sure that was going to go to a runoff, 10-way Republican governor primary. That, were, that pretty much locks you into going into one. But some of these other races that we're talking about, you know, when you see... Um, you know, the le- level of negativity, for instance, that we saw in the AG's race, I think that that may have contributed to some folks just wanting to just look for that third option. You had, a, you had, you know, a, you as Nondoc had a debate um, this past Saturday, I believe, between the two, uh, between the three Republican attorney general candidates. Um, we, we saw for the past two months, really, ever since filing that we, we saw just a, there was a negative tone in that race. Um, and the second thing I would say is really with with everything at the top of the ballot, you had um, you, I, I would think there's just probably not enough oxygen um, on the airwave, so to speak, to get, for some of these candidates to get out there and really get the name ID that they probably need to, to secure a 50 percent uh, measure. I mean, we, with, with everything that was so full on the ballot, with also, also 7088 being a little abnormal to have such a big state question on this primary ballot, I'm just not sure there was the oxygen there for some folks to get their name out and really, really secure those nominations. Yeah, that's interesting. And I guess what I was wondering is to what role did the uh, I mean, I think. Uh, I was going to say raise our hands, uh, raise our voices, uh, affirm yay or nay uh, on the microphones, whether you felt that 788 increased turnout. I would think yes. Yeah, no, absolutely. Yes. Um, and, and it may not have been the entire increase, but certainly a big factor of it. Uh, uh, without um, making bad jokes about all my stoner friends, uh, what uh, do we think that people who were really adamant about 788 were maybe... a not as typical primary voters, uh, maybe didn't know their, the difference between their Kathy Costello and their Leslie Osborne and their Keith uh, Swinton? Absolutely. I mean, we, we know that uh, regular voters, once you get past governor and usually one other race, my guess is it would be lieutenant governor and attorney general. Um, I mean, everything was kind of undecided right up until a week out. So that's, I mean, I don't want to say it's, they don't the voters don't care who it is there's just not the capacity to get engaged into every single one of these races right i mean um you know you take my district that i live in we had a state house state senate all the statewides i mean that's a lot of did you have county races we had we had county races that's a lot of politics to be engaged in to know everyone up and down the ballot at some point in time we are going to know them, but the normal person's going to go. You know, I, I need to go take care of my kids today. I, I can't. I can't do this all the time to research everybody. So, I think that's what you get. Does that lend credence to the notion that some of these statewide positions shouldn't be statewide elected? I'm, I'm sure I, I see both I, of you guys I mean, sitting here I, not. I would agree with that. Yeah, I think you can make that argument either way. I think that specific point certainly does. I mean, you know, with Oklahoma's populist roots, you can probably have you'd probably have plenty of folks that make the opposite argument. But, uh, you know, it's it's with everything down the bottom. I mean, we do have a number of statewide offices, or at least a couple that are, you know, we're one of a very few select states that have that. As La- a, as labor a, commissioners were one of four. four. Yeah. So I, and so that's that does speak to that for sure. Chris, thoughts? Yeah, I. I've just always been amazed that the uh, you know information is more available now on everyone uh, that are in these races. Yet it does still seem like and turnout was great, uh, but I think a lot of that was was the state question. Yeah, uh, and these people uh, turned out maybe did not know uh, necessarily the other the down ballot races. They just you know they didn't type. And, and it's the same thing. They're busy. They're working. They're trying to pick up the kids. Try to go to basketball practice. And you know, I saw that within the kind of my sphere of influence, influence uh, people asking me, you know, who are these people on election day? I was just kind of surprised, especially when I'm communicating up to the election several times on, you know, the different candidates and here's some information. You can go get informa- information on them, and I still got the, I don't know who to vote for on election day. But yeah, they knew state question 788 by number. So right, they maybe new governor and they knew that. Yeah, I think that that's probably true you know if i think about it from i hope everybody in this podcast knows that when we started this i had a notepad and all it said was introductions on it at the top and that's so we're we're really winging this as we go but it makes me think that 
you know, we saw on Nondoc, we tried to do primers on all these statewide things. And like I said, I mentioned Ben White, our, our awesome intern from the Gaylord College, you know, was doing a lot of that. And that's really just collecting publicly available data. We certainly didn't have time to call all these candidates as much as Ryan, as much as uh, uh, political consultants like you uh, were blowing me up saying, hey, give this person a call, you know, and we can't do that because we're a small shop. And if we interview one person, we got to interview everybody else. We got to interview both sides of the ballot and and all that. But we saw record traffic in the, the two days leading up. And then, you know, even it was a really good couple weeks leading up of people. Um, you know, we published a thing on the Corporation Commission. It was just a primer, a photo, a link to their website, all that stuff. The, we finally got it done. We published it on, I think we published it on Election Day, or if not, the, just the day before. I think it was on Election Day. And um, it, I mean, there were hundreds of people reading it within minutes of it going up. And I, we rarely see that unless it's a huge scoop of a story. And all, all our headline was, you know, seven people challenge incumbent for corporation commission. And so I, I guess I say all that is that I think that despite, um, I think I don't want to confuse voter ignorance with voter apathy. I actually thought a lot of people who were really energized about the race were, were calling me, texting me, right? You know, they were trying to get information. They wanted to know. They felt like, well, shoot, you know, I may not know exactly what county commissioner does, but I should probably try to find out. Um, so I don't want to confuse voter ignorance with voter apathy, because like you said, Ryan, it's just a lot of information. Yeah. So I, and you can describe this and I happen this to have this a, in my bag. This is a three inch stack of, of mailers. It Th looks like this that you got. is this. And I happen to have this taking it into the office. This is every piece of political mail, door knock, whatever that showed up at my house. So, I mean, you know, are you going to read through that? I mean, right. granted, it came over a month, but the reality of it is, is that that's a lot. Yeah. And, and I don't think it's apathy. I think it's just, you know, there's so much, I call it pushing through the, the noise. There's a lot of noise. Right. So you add on top of national politics, which is now on 24 hours a day on everything, then you get down to, you know, your labor commissioner, which a lot of people probably in this state would tell you, why do we have that department? Right. Um, there, there are a lot of people that are going to go in there going, okay, Les Leslie Osborne, Kathy Costello, Keith Swinton. Right. Well, and I think we did that. We did that primary debate for the Republican labor commissioner, and uh, we did a Democrat labor commissioner debate as well. And I think that we had you know, uh, 6,000 viewers of the Republican one and and uh, something similar, uh, maybe even a little more for the Democrat one, which I, I thought was, you know, a little interesting. Um, and then we had a bunch of reasons. But even, let's say we even add up all of those things, I think maybe we reached fifteen to 20,000 people about, you know, uh, the Republican Labor Commissioner thing. And there's, you know, 400 and, and, and some thousand votes going to be cast uh, on that, you know, and, and nobody else did a, a debate between them on on that. So I think it is really difficult as a civic society. How do we have enough accurate information so that it's not just, hey, I've heard of the name Will Farrell, who got 22 percent of the state superintendent vote. Um, you know, he's in movies. Uh, so I thought I thought that was surprising. Well, uh, any, any comments from from you, Ryan? It looks like you're about to say something. Yeah, I mean, it just you know with the sheer volume, with the number of candidates and number of races, as we talked about on the ballots. I mean, I think you you couple that with the amount of turnover. Just looking at the legislature alone, you know, term limits, and the, I think the atmosphere at the Capitol this year led to a number of folks who are left early due to term limits. So that gives a whole another. It just compounds the problem of trying to be an informed voter as an average citizen in the state. Um, we're already looking at going into November. 49 out of 149 legislative seats that will be filled by freshman members at a minimum. That's assuming no other incumbents are to fall and go, to lose their race in November. So we're talking about a third just right there on top of the last two classes that came in, which are also very substantial. So, I mean, just the not only not even getting into the institutional knowledge level in, at the Capitol itself, but just the amount of those candidates having to get out and know their voters and, and, and vice versa is just it compounds that challenge. Yeah, and maybe this this sort of anti-incumbent sentiment 
that I think we all agree existed and was prevalent. That's maybe a good segue to talk about the governor's race. Um, on the on the Democratic side, I think, you know, Drew Edmondson, um, you know, got 61, 62 percent of the vote somewhere in there. Yeah, 61. Um, right, you know, right over 61. Which I, you know, I, I don't think is actually that impressive of a uh, number. I mean, it's not 59, um, but it's, you know, it, it showed that, I think it showed two things. One, that he didn't maybe spend a ton of money to get his name out for this this uh, primary, and two, um, that I think Connie Johnson ran a, a pretty, you know, heavy grassroots campaign. Um, I think she wound up spending like 13 cents a vote, which I think is oh, wow. pretty good. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so, um, but that number was thrown to me. I haven't done the math myself. But on the Republican side, you had, um, you know, you said you mentioned a 10-way primary. Um, and I'm looking at the numbers right here. Mick Cornette pulled 29.4%. Uh, Kevin Stitt pulled 24.4%. Todd Lamb pulled 30, uh, 239 uh, And then uh, Dan Fisher came in fourth place. I'm, pr- I'm pretty sure that I, I bet somebody a pitcher of beer on that, like, nine months ago that he would get eight percent of the vote yeah i i may i think this is correct didn't he carry one county as well McCurtain, McCurtain, McCurtain county. county so he he did make the map that you saw pop up a couple places with two you know who took the lead in each county so that, that's pretty impressive yeah. um and then you had uh gary jones got you know 5.6 and gary richardson got four percent um somebody said i'm gonna steal their joke somebody said to me the other night that gary england could have just been on the ballot and gotten 10 himself um you know so you're you're welcome to laugh on uh, on <laughs> okay, can't, yeah that. no laughing is allowed um, on on. I, I would go back to the name ID. He might have more name ID as well. Then then what? Oh, Gary <laughs> England would yeah. have more name ID. Yeah, absolutely. So, um, but I think the shocker that to, to many people, or I, I mean, maybe not a shocker. I think we knew it was a possibility. But Todd Lamb, who who had the most money raised, I think spent the most, if I'm correct, uh, or did Stitt? I don't. Well, he, he, he's I, I, highly up close. there. Yeah, his name his name most. ID was was very high as well, and he'd been running for a long time, and he's the lieutenant governor, um, and had been endorsed by you know a, a, a lot of people, and and um, had you know as, as the old adage goes, the lieutenant governor's job is to run for governor, um, so he'd been all over the state, and uh, he he doesn't make the runoff. What were you guys' reactions? I mean, I think this was mentioned kind of an anti and incumbent bias, obviously. Uh, Lieutenant Governor Lamb, not the incumbent in this race, but kind of painted with that painted that way. Um, mm-hmm. Given that we have a term limited governor, he was term limited in his own office, um, and also just there. I think it's pretty clear if you look across, you know, social media especially. Just he was very clearly, uh, fairly or not, tied to the Fallon administration. Obviously, in Oklahoma currently, we don't have a joint ticket in that way. We do get to vote on that in November. One of several state questions that we'll see on the ballot. But um, I think that's just, from an anti-incumbent standpoint, if you look at current favorability numbers for, for the governor, for um, the legislature, um, just I think the right group did some polling on just, you know, views towards incumbents versus uh, just a, a non-incumbent on the ballot. We, we see there's a pretty strong uh, lean against incumbents right now, and I think that fits with everything that we're seeing in this current climate. I, I want to kind of pull this back into something that Ryan said earlier. The number of new legislators in the last what four years is is stat i mean it's staggering right i think we would all essentially agree we can all pick out our one odd to the statement i'm about to make but i think we would all agree they all pretty much ran on change so i think it's gonna be very interesting to see what the happens in the state legislature and what happens with the state statewide elected because they have all ran on change and now we have they massively have the majority mm-hmm. in both houses to do it now. Yeah, this is where we're going to put in the drop of uh, of um, tr- uh, Charles Durning, uh, isn't that his name, uh, doing the, how are we going to run on reform when the yeah. God oh, dang yeah. incumbent? Yeah, yeah. God damn campaign is lame. We need a shutting arm. You hear me, boys? In a goddamn arm. Election hell tomorrow that some bitch strokes would win it in a walk. Well... He's the reform candidate, Daddy. Yeah. Well, people like that reform. And maybe we should get us some. I'll reform you, you soft-headed son of a bitch. How are you going to run reform on with a damn incumbent? Um, yeah, well, and I don't think you ever had the, you know, there were rumors for months 
and I'm sure you would have seen it if, if maybe Todd Lamb had gotten to the, the runoff or, or certainly to the general election, the, the you know, inevitable Mary had a little lamb uh, pol- political ad. I mean, I heard, I was told that Gary Richardson was, was raising, you know, uh, money potentially to run that ad. I don't know that it ever, it, it ever dropped. If it did, I didn't see it. But I think that even just that moniker being out there really, you know, helped define him. And he tried to distance himself early on by resigning from the governor's cabinet. And I, I think people looking back on it kind of feel like maybe that wasn't a, uh, a, a great move because it, it, I don't think it, it didn't clear up anything. It didn't make him seem more like an outsider. It just frankly pissed off a bunch of people who were insiders. I agree. I agree with that. It, it wasn't the easiest way to put this is it wasn't theatrical enough. The, the breakup wasn't, wasn't bad enough. Like he didn't to, like light fire yeah, to yeah, his yeah. documents. I mean, like know, it was, it was just, Hey, Hey, I'm, I'm out of here. Right. But, you know, it wasn't the political theater that people love to see. And then, then make their opinion of, Oh, well, now he's leaving. Gotcha. Chris? Yeah, the, the, the average voters uh, that I talk to in, in my organizations, they still think it's like the president and vice president. They're the same. Fallon and Lamb are on the same ticket, and they don't realize they're totally separate. I think uh, that'd be some interesting polling just to see what, what the current like an understanding of that process, yeah. understanding of that in Oklahoma would be. Yeah. And, and I bring up the resignation. I was like, well, he's trying to, dis- you know, he's, him- he's trying to distance himself from that. And they don't even remember it because it was, it was right. a while back, and there was no theater. I mean, I, I agree with that. I think we're you know all we have to do is turn on the news. We can see that people are getting theater. I mean, all the time. Yeah, Donald Trump is president for a reason. It's not that people don't enjoy political theater. Right. They like it. They yes. want. They want to crave it. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And to Ryan's point, I mean, I think you saw this from really probably every candidate in that race. Some form of trying to you know change is what they're running on. I mean, even the Lamb campaign tried to pivot their, the renew was their platform, um, you know, for, but all the major candidates for governor, that was, that is the message. And it, it probably was hard in that instance to, to make that pivot. Um, you know, you saw, I mean, obviously Kevin Stitt's success in the race. I mean, he comes in with a, a, a fresh slate and no really, no real background in, in politics. I mean, that right there is just the change he's running on. So I think that was, gave him a platform to do that. And you know, I think going into those last few weeks, we kind of everyone, everyone's talk, all the polling showed that we were going to have a runoff. It just was a matter of which two came out. And there was there was there was really three that were pretty clear. And you can see from the results that had a chance to get into that. Um, obviously, Lieutenant Governor missing out by a half point there and then Mick Cornett separating himself a little bit. But all in all, pretty close to the top of the field before you had a pretty, pretty, pretty big drop off. Yeah, I, I think that um, one thing I'm going to call you Mr. Tupps, just since we have two Ryans, you said that. Um, <laughs> Uh, there's got to be a joke in there somewhere. I've tried my I've tried my life not to be called that. But oh, really? That my uh, father is Mr. Tops. No, okay. never, right. never well, me. Well, call him on the cell phone yeah. and see if he can answer this okay. question. Um, you, you, you know, I think it's really interesting. All of all the people who ran on change, I think, uh, Chris, you talked about the teacher walkout, and one thing that I thought was really interesting, and I only get annoyed by this stuff because I, I guess I'm a OCD facts nerd. Uh, facts like F-A-C-T-S um, person when it comes to the, the government uh, is is that so many teachers especially were up at the Capitol and and if, if they said well okay your lawmaker um, you know voted for the teacher raise and they voted for all the revenue options before this they've been green on everything um, and you know the big reaction was yeah well um, that's good, but they've cut it for the last 10 years, so they're just, you know, I, they, they, they shouldn't have cut it for the last 10 years. And very often I would say, well, how long do you think Representative Fettgatter has been here or Representative uh, Forrest Bennett or, Rep- you know, how, how long do you think they've been in? And, well, they've been here since they cut, cut it for the last 10 years, and I said they've been here for 16 months. You know, they, they, are, they ran on change. They came in, and they took every yes vote, and, and it didn't matter. People were just still furious, the fact that they'd been there. They were a 16-month incumbent, blaming them for things that happened 20 years ago. Yeah, some of them were, you know, less than a month incumbents, just up with the number of special elections we had. And, and like, and no one had been there more than 12 years, given our term limits. So it's, it is kind of amazing. We're, we're almost to the point where, you know, not quite where they, they started making all the income tax cuts. But I, I could see, you know, four to six years from now, still people still making the same argument and, None. We will have literally none of the same people there. So yeah, it's very it's very interesting. Um, where where do we go? Uh, 
from here uh, in terms of the the Republican uh, runoff. I was talking to a friend last night who sort of used an analogy that the ships are back at port and they're restocking and now they're going to go out and, and battle again in three or four weeks and we're going to know. We have, I think, you know, basically eight weeks uh, by the time this, this posts. Um, we'll have eight weeks uh, until August 28th. Uh, your predictions in the Republican uh, runoff so far, uh, I heard Mick Cornett on the radio yesterday uh, sort of decline to to attack uh, his opponent or or even really say anything about him at all. So where do you guys does this get ugly or does it just is there just a, a minuscule amount of radio ads and TV ads and then we all see who wins? I I don't know. I know Kevin Stitt was had ads up yesterday. Really, uh, I'm talking about uh, there were internet ads. There weren't. He wasn't on television, but just talking about last note to self. Note to self. Call Donnell. Uh, Yeah, (laughs) yeah. Um, I. This is kind of the primary that I was the most, or the runoff I was most interested in, because there is a lot of tactical difference between these two going forward. But besides Todd Lamb being in there, I think that that this makes it a much different runoff. I don't know how that plays out necessarily. I kind of always give a energy advantage to the person that comes in second mm-hmm. in a runoff or to get into a runoff. I think a lot of people now this is kind of going to be the exception that proves that because no one thought anyone was going to get 50%. So I mean it every campaign is still hey happy we're still going. There isn't there wasn't someone that thought they were going to win it outright and then move forward. But typically what you see in runoffs is the person that gets first there's kind of a hey, why didn't we get there? And the second place person's campaign is super excited they can they can battle tomorrow, and then they go out there and keep going and do it. So that's typically what happens. I'm interested to see if because no one thought they were going to get there, this takes a different different dynamic. Well, let's take these let's take these dynamics is that you have two candidates in that runoff who have no state government experience. Um, Cornette has has municipal government experience and executive experience. Um, Kevin Stitt has private uh, sector executive experience. Um, and they're from separate ends of the turnpike, and, unless you consider that it goes all the way down to Wichita Falls. But, um, you know, you've got Oklahoma City. Uh, you've got Tulsa. Who, who gets the I- more ground? The, the one thing that's very interesting to me, and I didn't mean to cut you off there, is almost all of these are Tulsa versus Oklahoma City. Mm-hmm. I mean, the governor is, the lieutenant governor, uh, no, the lieutenant governor, yeah, the lieutenant I governor ki- tell, kind of is. I wouldn't be able to tell you uh, where those uh, folks lived if you um, <laughs> if you paid me. <laughs> so it, it's, I think that's going to be a very interesting uh, mm-hmm. superintendent. I believe mm-hmm. Linda Murphy's in Edmond. Mm-hmm. Right. And Joy Hoffmeister's from Tulsa. Right. Um Corporation commissioner. Corporation, Corporation commissioner. commissioner. Um, I so I think attorney I think that yep. attorney general. general mm-hmm. I think that is going to add something that that might be very interesting. Yeah, if you look at the the, the Republican governor map, I mean, you, it's pretty clear you had Mick Cornett generally in the central Oklahoma City area, uh, carrying those counties. Kevin Stitt generally in northeast Oklahoma, carrying those counties. You had Todd Lamb carrying a lot of the rural area. So obviously, that there's a lot of votes for the taking in rural Oklahoma. Where do those go? I, I don't know. I think it, a lot of that certainly would depend on the direction the campaign takes. I, you know, I've kind of think I'm, I'm probably going to give up on trying to prognosticate these races anymore um, after probably really 2016, <laughs> November 2016. But uh, especially, you know, we've seen a number of surprises Tuesday. So, um, but I, I think it's going to be an interesting two months for sure. Yeah. I, I would say the exception that proves that rule kind of so far is Dana Murphy actually won um, Tulsa County. Okay. Yeah, that's just a fact, and I thought I'd point it. No, out. nice. I, I, was trying to, to, I don't know that I have anything other than that to back it up. <laughs> who who had more? Here's a little. Let's let's play a, a question game, and then and then change uh, topics real quick. I was just looking up county voting. Uh, which county had more Republicans vote on Tuesday? Texas County, which is Guymon in the Panhandle, or McCurtain County, which is Ida Bell in in the very far southeast corner? Chris, go ahead. <laughs> uh, you raised your eyebrows. Panhandle. Anybody else thoughts? Sure, I'll go with that one. I'll just I'll be different and go McCurtain. It was McCurtain County. There were there were um, about five hundred more. Now there are 
about 10,000 more people in McCurtain County. But typically, you think McCurtain County, you think uh, Democrat, you know, the, the registration is enormous. So I guess I, I said that. The reason I was thinking about it is that um, runoff turnout is always lower, um, although there should be it should be less lower, if that makes sense, in this because there are just so many runoffs. Um, but I, I think it's that shows that while there's 2,000 votes available in Guymon and 2,600 votes available in Texas County. When you get to Oklahoma County, you've got, um, if I can get the computer to work here for me, you, you had that, you had 83,000 votes there. So your metro areas and even the suburbs around those, you know, you could go win all of Western or all of Southeastern Oklahoma in that, in that Republican primary, but it really matters turning out your, your home base uh, urban area. So let's talk quickly about congressional races as well. Um, there are five congressional districts in the state, and if you consider Democrat and Republican, there are going to be five uh, congressional runoffs. Now, CD3, Western Oklahoma, uh, Frank Lucas will, will live another Groundhog Day and face Frankie Robbins again in the general election. Uh, that's, that's not going into any runoff. Um, if you didn't see our piece on Nondoc about Murray Mark Thibodeau, uh, the other Democratic candidate who had accidentally set an auto post on his Facebook and Twitter, so he posted like 68 photos of, of his mugshot uh, in like every 15 minutes for like two days, <laughs> then it, you got to check that out. But it, I, I'm aside, they, uh, Robbins won that uh, straight out. But in CD1 in Tulsa area, you have a Republican runoff and a Democrat runoff. In CD2, Eastern Oklahoma, you have a Democrat runoff. In CD4, uh, in Norman to Lawton and Ardmore and all that, you have a Democratic runoff. And in CD5, you have a Democratic runoff. That's uh, Central Oklahoma. So, Ryan, what stood out to you of those congressional races? Uh, you know, uh, the only open seat race is up in, up in Tulsa, the Tulsa area, CD1. Um, so you said two runoffs there. Um, at Tim Harris and Kevin Hearn on the Republican side, and then Tim Gilpin and Amanda Douglas. Um, you know, I think I, that, that was obviously we have uh, that, that was to replace um, Congressman Bridenstein, who's since taken over as NASA administrator. Um, beyond that, really, it was a pretty good day overall for incumbents um, with the other four. Like you said, Frank Lucas went through without a primary. Um, and then Representatives Russell and Cole uh, went through with huge numbers. And I believe Representative Mullen went through with about 54 yep. percent of the vote. Um, and he had a four way primary. So. All things considered, those 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 guys all went through. You had two Democrat runoffs, um, obviously. But I think the one that's getting the most attention probably here in the Oklahoma City area, you had a uh, Kendra Horn and Tom Gild. Um, and I know we had a little dust up in the news there with some campaign signs towards the end of that race. If anybody wants to touch on that, yeah. Some uh, so there was um, uh, right over near our offices, uh, outside of the Women Lead Oklahoma and Freedom Oklahoma offices, which Kendra Horn co-founder of, of uh, Women Lead. Um, and uh, there was, we wound up getting video footage. So of course she had access to the video footage from their security camera that uh, like at one o'clock in the broad daylight, just, you know, un in front of God and everybody, Tim, uh, Tom Guild uh, rolled up in his, in his uh, sports car and uh, got out and uh, started yank. He was wearing his, I assume sign, wrangling gloves and he he uh ripped the uh the this the bags off the metal signs and just and the, i loved the way he just casually tossed it into the parking lot just huh and then just walked just sauntered slowly just down the street and just did the rest of them and uh he's and he left the frames right left I, mean, the frames. I mean for croquet or whatever you want to try to yeah, go play and, with those and, later so and the metal scrapper in me uh if you've seen my porch uh just I was appalled um, but he still got 18% of the vote. <laughs> and, and, and making for an, a slightly awkward runoff. And but. making for a, for a slightly awkward runoff. So um, I don't, you, think, you guys think we should do a debate in that one? Absolutely. Yeah, okay. Uh, FKG's a sponsor. We're in. Um, so, uh, yeah, I mean, what did, what did you guys think of that whole... Had you seen anything like that? Bueller? <laughs> Bueller. <laughs> Shocking. Yeah. <laughs> We all have uh, the pictures of someone late at night, you know, doing weird, doing sign stuff. Um, so, I, 
Yeah, let's redo that. Um, <laughs> yeah. No, we're not. So <laughs> pulling up signs, putting some boxing signs in, stuff like that. I think that's a typical campaign story that every year there's there's always one stu- very stupid picture. Uh-huh. But is this, I mean, is this, Chris, is this better or worse or weirder? I mean, I don't recall, I mean, I don't recall an actual candidate in the middle of the day just <laughs> going out like that and, and, and doing that. The location's the funniest part to me. Yeah. I mean, give, give me, it's like right, it's just like going into someone's house and just, you know, I mean, just really causing <laughs> stir. So. And the day is the funny part yeah, to me. Yeah. Like, I, I can't, I can, I can't imagine doing that. It's <laughs> pretty cool. I also can't imagine being his consultant after those came out. By the way, I don't, I don't know how you what have that your phone next call move at that point. Yeah. yeah, he admitted it. He he admitted it with uh, Justin uh, Wingerter of yeah. the Oklahoman. Um, Tulsa Tulsa runoff. You you had um, in the congressional first district. Uh, you have um, on the Republican side uh, Kevin Hearn, who's the uh, uh, cheeseburger king, and then you have. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Tim Harris, Tim Harris, who's the prosecutor extraordinaire, he's a mustache, mustachioed prosecutor. Um, you can show, you can see how much I know about these candidates from my from my post on this end of the turnpike. Uh, I think that's going to be a really costly and tight, and maybe even ugly um, runoff. Yeah, you would expect so. I mean, and you never obviously want to want to say that, that it's not going to come down in November. But I, I think that everyone looking at that race is, is assuming that whoever comes out of that runoff is is, is going to be the heavy favorite to win that seat. Um, so obviously, I think they're going to put all you know put all their chips on the table and see where it comes out. And they were fairly close in their their uh, run out their numbers from the primary. So it's not there's not a clear uh, favorite at this point, at least from what I can tell. And that could drive turnout in favor of Kevin Stitt. For the runoff as well, because if if he thinks he's going to get a higher percentage, if he polls better in Tulsa, and you have two congressional candidates on the Republican side trying to turn out voters uh, for their runoff up there, Cornette doesn't really get that in Oklahoma no, City. No, that, that has to help Stitt. Okay, uh, let's talk really quickly about um, medical marijuana. You guys want to fire it up? Are we passing to the left or what? I have asthma. Okay, uh, I, that's, I, I was just. Hey, that, is that a qualifying condition? I or? was trying to. I, I was idea. trying to uh, have some levity. Um, no, uh, let's talk about medical marijuana. I mean, the the, the law as it was passed um, says thirty days to implementation. Um, we've done another podcast about it, so there's a lot of issues we won't get into. But the politics of it, I was, I I was surprised that it it did so well. I mean, I, I think I was. I told everybody I'd bet my last dollar that it wouldn't pass, uh, just because I wasn't going to believe it till I saw it. Um, but it had pretty strong showing. I think it won every congressional district. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, when the numbers were coming in initially on Tuesday night, the rural districts were coming in first, and it was at about fifty fifty one percent. And I quickly felt that if if the far western Oklahoma is coming in at fifty. You know, uh, 49 percent. Um, it's going to fly because it, it has the um, the urban areas. I now that I think about it, I actually think it might have lost CD three in Western Oklahoma if we if we added all those up. But the point stands is it, it did well. What did you guys? What message did that send, and why did it do so well? Despite uh, so, despite being outspent enormously and having a, a pretty active no campaign on TV. Well, so we did we pulled a. I, I don't know if anyone else pulled this. We pulled a question that asked, do you believe medical marijuana, that 788 as it is written, is medical or recreational? Um, it was 61% of people believed it was, it was uh, medical. So the idea or the notion that it was just a recreational bill, I don't think took a whole lot of, got a whole lot of traction. Your, but your poll came out right before the TV ads it, it started. Was, it was right before right before that happened. I'm saying it was 60% to 17% with 20% undecided. So mm, that was the ground it, you had to try to make up. Yeah, yeah. Even your, even yeah. if you even if all the undecideds right swung, you you still have still there's more people that believed it was medical. Right. Yeah. I. Uh, 
Yeah, and I, and I think that medical marijuana has polled well in this state for years. I mean, I remember ten years ago, Sooner Poll had a had a poll that showed it as with sixty point five or sixty point seven percent support in two thousand eight. Um, you know, no one was talking about it. There was no question or no bill or anything like that, but just an act. Do you support medical marijuana? Ten years ago, Oklahomans were, uh, without being moved one way or the other, were were sixty percent for it. So, um, you know, what do you guys think happens next? I, I think the political side of seven eighty eight is very interesting in that I think we actually have a uh, situation where we could have more turnout in the primary than we do in the general election. Yeah. Um, because 788 drew, drew yeah. prime out, drew, drew turnout in the primary. I, mean, I don't know what the um, general top of the ticket looks like. It's probably not going to be as exciting as the Republican primary. Um, so it, hopefully it is. But I don't. There's not another issue that draws people out. I mean, you talked about the. Um, combining the ticket of the of the I, I yeah don't there's think he, there's not there's certainly not a state question that yeah. has the same draw as the one we just saw on tuesday that i mean we're, there's a few on the ballot at this point and we could see a couple more added there no there's a few other measures that are marijuana related that would have to clear a pretty high signature threshold to uh, get on the ballot so you know it just, but I, I don't anticipate there being anything quite like that on the ballot in terms of a, a state question in november yeah chris thoughts on any any observation there uh just when i was Polling people on the street, just you know, in my area, and, and again in my organization, uh, just talking to them, I was really surprised at the amount of people that were supporting it, uh, both on, you know, by age group, uh, older people had signs out supporting it, um, and younger people were supporting it as well. So it was, to me, I was I was very surprised that especially the older generation were actually you know all about putting signs out in their yard to support the the state question. Yeah. Yeah, and I think it'll be interesting just to see going forward, you know, what we, we obviously have seen a, a, a significant action from the health department this week, just kind of announcing what their path forward is between now and July 26th. Uh, they've already put down kind of a, a draft of their proposed regulations around it, which do seem to be pretty robust at this point. Um, but whether or not this, you know, the governor had previously said that she would likely call a special session. You know, we haven't really seen any, heard anything since the election about whether that's a concrete thing or not at this point, whether or not we'll have a third special session. So I think there's certainly a number of a number of concerns that were raised by the no no campaign, and I think that have been raised by policymakers even this past session, a regular session, that we may see one that may will likely be addressed in some form, but we really don't know when that'll occur at this point. Well, and I don't think that there's a much appetite from the legislature, even your more conservative uh, members who maybe opposed the state question, but I don't think they want to come in and take a vote right now to dramatically change it. Um, it yeah, with the 57% support number coming in where it did, I mean, you know, maybe if you say it passes by a, a narrow mar narrower margin, perhaps, but I, I think that would, I think most, from what I've heard, would tend to agree with you there. Well, um, and I think that the issue, you know, really, I mean, there, I think there are some questions about home grow rules and some of this stuff, and I don't know, and, and you know, I know packaging is a big question. Um, you know, how do you, what are the requirements on packaging edibles uh, so that they don't look too much like gummy bears for kids to just go take a handful of? And, and you know, these are, these are serious, serious things. Some people want that to be taken care of by the health department and think they certainly can. Um, there's other folks that think maybe that, you know, it, that would be better to put in the statute as opposed to an agency rules, especially an agency that I think has shown that people rightfully don't know how much they do but that was a that was a really soft way to put that but um you know an agency that thought they didn't have 30 million dollars had some trouble recently yeah it's had some <laughs> had some mm, moments okay so um there's that to do but then i think the real battle that would would need uh a special session is over the the business end of this and you know Chris, I don't know in, in your realm whether you have talked to people or thought about this, but how this gets set up, what the rules are um, for the business part of it. Uh, on the one hand, I think people are very happy that the threshold is very low in terms of finances and it has to be a majority ownership in Oklahoma and it's not George Soros coming in here and, uh, you know, taking all, he, he runs everything uh, or it's not... Um, 
you know, in Arkansas where they were only going to have five licenses a year, uh, you know, by section of the state and everything like that. Uh, but at the same time, if 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 2,000 people uh, apply for a, a grow license um, for a commercial grow facility and start taking out loans and all this stuff, I mean, I think people are worried that, boy, a lot of people could lose their shirt by coming in and, and putting it, you know, in their whole life savings uh, into this effort and everybody else is doing the same thing. So, so does anybody have any thoughts on those potential business protections? Yeah, I mean, there's a there's a lot of concerns there. Just officially, you know, farmers has no position on, on the state question, or uh, and we've seen in other states, and you know, really, we haven't seen um, that I'm aware of any you know real Im- direct impact uh, to our business. We are more worried about you know we we are seeing uh, DUI rise in uh, Colorado, so we'd be worried about you know, you know claim severity, claims frequency increasing here in Oklahoma with auto accidents. And you also start becoming becoming concerned with fire house fires, uh, and and that and so we're more worried about our customers and making sure they're they're covered uh, in case you know something happens or risks begin to rise uh, because of the of more marijuana. Make sure the joint is is properly snuffed. <laughs> at the, is that absolutely okay? That's that makes sense. But maybe some new businesses coming into the market that may need insurance products. So I, potential I think opportunity definitely. There. I think if I were buying a quarter of a million dollars worth of equipment, uh, I might insure that. Um, but who knows, right? Especially right. against fire, apparently. <laughs> Especially <laughs> against fire. Um, okay. Here's the question: If you uh, if you smoke one of these and it's destroyed by fire, is it on purpose? Ooh, yeah. Is it intentional? Yeah, I don't know. Right, like, well, what is that with cigarettes? Wouldn't that be the same? <laughs> now, no, I'm, 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 yeah, that's a question. No, I, I don't know. That's a, that's a question, right? Like, I, are you? Is has there been discussion over whether you insure plants? I mean, there's crop insurance, but there's not going to be federal crop insurance for marijuana. Uh, there might be for hemp, depending on some of the yeah. rules that have changed. But I mean, if I've got, uh, if I were out and I had. Um, you know, X, X amount of, of uh, some other crop, corn or sorghum or whatever, soybeans, you know, I have um, federal crop insurance on that. If I were, you know, if I were doing bonsai trees and I had 5,000 of those in a, fa- in, a, in a warehouse somewhere, I'd have that, you know, uh, protected. Uh, is there an insurance market for, uh, you know, indoor grow facilities for cannabis? There's always a market. I don't know if it's our market. But. We're going we're to call Mark Mann and find out <laughs> yeah, soon. Yeah. 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 All right. We'll get Mark Mann on that. Well, I think we've reached our time limit-ish that we wanted to go. Um, I really think uh, all you guys, I, I have one other quick question that I want a, a, a brief uh, statement from, and then we're going to have our parting thoughts. I, I, I meant to ask who you think uh, the Edmondson campaign would rather face uh, in November, Cornette or Stitt? Neither. Neither. I, th- I think both they wanted th- to I th- face Lamb. I think I think both of those are, are huge problems for Edmondson. Yeah, Chris, thoughts? Uh, yeah, I've, I've been curious. You know, I, I did mention a poll earlier about uh, seeing Stitt and how he shapes up against Edmondson, but it's an older poll, so I don't know that it, it matters as much. Uh, Oklahoma's still red, still Trump country, and that's the way it is. Right. Ryan, thoughts? Yeah, I mean, I, based on, like Chris said, some polling back in May, I think, you know, it, it appeared just solely based on that, that you probably would rather face um, a Stitt in that primary. You know, you can, there's some wisdom that our commission wasn't may say, okay, Mick Cornette has been at least described or painted as potentially a more moderate candidate. So maybe in a general that goes better. So that would be my initial thought. But, you know, I... It, the numbers, like Ryan said, do do paint a tough picture, at least in, uh, from the onset for Edmondson. But he does have to be happy it, that they're going to have to spend a bunch of money in a runoff. So, I mean, that certainly is, it works in his favor. Yeah, interesting. Okay, final takeaway. Did you have any uh, election night uh, shockers or surprises? I have, I have one uh, really fun fact. Uh, Ryan, I think you, uh, Mr. Tupps, uh, I think you... Um, blew yours a minute ago with the Dana Murphy thing. What was that again? Uh, Dana Murphy won Tulsa County. The The other one that uh, was very interesting to me is Todd Lamb lost Garfield County. Hmm. That's right. That's right. Mr. Kilpatrick? Yeah, in the, in the fun fact department, um, you know, we had uh, 
like we said earlier, six incumbent legislators lose. We we nearly had another one, and I guess technically it's not still finalized. Uh, Representative Kevin McDougal won by at a three-vote advantage over his Republican challenger. Um, but the district did have 10 provisional ballots that are supposed to be counted, I believe, tomorrow, which is, we're taping this on Thursday. So by the time you hear this, we may have a, a final result in that race. Um, but at this point, Representative McDougal uh, had a three-vote advantage over his opponent, who had actually uh, posted on Facebook that he was dropping out of the race just based on some a, a career opportunity that came up the previous week. So just kind of an interesting dynamic there. He didn't get there. back in the night before. Did he get back okay. in well, the night before? I wouldn't you, I mean, well, yeah, you're I mean, on the <laughs> ticket. You, you so, might as well jump back in the night before, right? You, I, I guess if you, he seems like the sort of he seems like the sort of wishy-washy fellow we need yeah, up at the legislature. Right. Um, my my takeaway was I thought it was interesting that Joe, uh, tiger wrangling, uh, bleach blonde <laughs> locks, uh, uh, rolling papers, distributing uh, exotic Maldonado, Sh- Shriegvogel. Um, uh, I thought it was interesting that he lost badly yeah, i was um, kind of devastated by that he he had uh he only got 18.7 percent of the vote 663 total libertarians they closed the primary so only registered libertarians could vote um there were i think 3,549 libertarian votes cast um i think there's like six thousand and some libertarians registered though am i wrong i think that's the right number I, yeah, I, I can't recall, and I, I think we probably it would be. But my question yeah. would be, who registers libert? Like, who makes the cognizant decision to register libertarian and then doesn't vote in the in the primary election for your governor candidate? It's a good point. Get out there and vote in August because they will also have a, a, a runoff between their top two candidates, I, I believe. In, oh, uh, do, Chris oh, Powell and Rex. Now, I, I think I, I may have misread that earlier in the night. Oh my God! Well, uh, we have to go issue a correction on Nondoc uh, because apparently there was like a precinct out and it came back in and dropped Chris Powell below fifty percent. Okay, well that's how I like to find out about my errors, um, gentlemen. Thank you so much for joining us here. Uh, if you stick around for just a second, we should tease this at the beginning. Uh, Chris is going to tell you a story about he heard about Representative Dollins uh, eating the seventy-two ounce steak, and he's going to tell us about the time he took a an 18 egg challenge in the state of Washington that went uh, poorly for him at, at later in the uh, day. Uh, in the meantime, follow us, like us, share us, um, rate us um, on Podbean, Apple Podcasts. If you find a podcast system we're not on, send us an email. Till next time. So, so Chris, tell us, a, you was this an eating competition? No, uh, I started watching Man vs. Food, uh, and uh, I was traveling at the time all over the United States for, for farmers uh, doing salvage work, and I, was in, and I started going to all the places that they, the show went. And one of those places was in Seattle, Washington, and it was a place where the, there was an 18-egg omelet that comes with a pound of cheese, a pound of chili, and a bunch of bread and hash browns. And so I went in there, I ordered it, sat down, I actually, I ate it pretty easily, actually. It, it wasn't too hard, but I had to drive from Seattle to Portland, Oregon. Oh, no. <laughs> uh, and it got pretty ugly on the drive because uh, all of it started coming back up. Oh. Uh, and out, so, during the oh. drive. So you were, you were giving it the rainbow yawn down the interstate. Absolutely, and I'm just glad no one was riding with me. Where, did you have, like, a wastebasket in your car? I just kept pulling over. Many, many times side of the road yeah growing grass uh whatever it takes how how much last question <laughs> yeah. how what how do you i mean i guess you measure a pound of chili by weight but how much chili is a pound of chili what is the volume what is the pound of chili by volume oh if i remember right they just kind of had like a a bowl uh and it was st- stuffed full of this burrito looking omelet that was about i don't know it was about a foot in diameter uh across did you are there any lasting effects of this do you not like eggs do you not like chili do you no longer watch this show no it's kind of funny because i actually i've i was eating a dozen eggs a day um at one point so it wasn't a big deal for me that's probably why i could handle it um but uh no i just but I watch what I eat if I'm on a long drive. Like that would be my lasting impact. It, it was so it was just fifty percent too much. Uh, eggs. Yeah. <laughs> a- absolutely. I, I I personally think it was the chili that did me in.
It was the chili. Famous last words. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> How We Got Here is a presentation of FKG Consulting in association with nondoc.com. Produced and edited by Bryce Holland. For more information, visit fkgconsulting.com and nondoc.com.